As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. God is such an awesome God. really love that song. I'm sorry, I just, I mean, all, all praise songs, worship songs are, are, are beautiful before the Lord, but I think each person is unique, and there's a song or two or three that really moves you. That's the power of music. That's God's original intention. That was Lucifer's original job and responsibility until he perverted that, but, but true worship, God is the architect of that. Romans 8.8 8 and Hebrews 11.6, if you have it, say, I have it. And uh, we've been looking at the subject of faith. Our title was Faith Still Works, because without a shadow of a doubt, faith still, after all these years, works. And so uh, our job was to establish what kind of principle faith is. And so we looked at Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8. 8. We're going to look at Hebrews 11.6 first. I'm sure you're there by now. So let's look at the sixth verse of Hebrews chapter 11. And let us read together. <clears throat> Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I like what this verse says, because before I must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, I must first believe that he is. And the beginning part of that verse says that without faith it is impossible to please him. Let's read up to that point together. Ready, read. But without faith... It is impossible to please him, one more time, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Can we all agree that the him being referred to is God? Okay, then I want us to read it one more time and exchange the word him for God. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. The verse says that without faith without faith. It is an impossibility to please God. Now flip over to Romans 8.8. 8. Romans 8 verse 8. And let us read together, already read. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we, we see a truth here. Something, something has come to life. Uh, the, the pages have, have, have illuminated because in Hebrews it says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Romans says those in the flesh cannot please God. So if those in the flesh cannot in no way please God, then when I'm in faith, I must not be in the flesh. Because when I'm in the flesh, I can't please Him. When I'm in faith, I can please Him. 
So what kind of principle are we dealing with here? We're dealing with something spiritual here. Romans 3.27 confirms that faith is a law. We're dealing with a spiritual law here. And many of us know that if a law is violated, there will be consequences. A law can be broken. And if that law is broken, then we could possibly suffer some consequences. So when you break the law of faith, there are certain things set in place that, that could come to pass or come upon you in your life because you violated that law. So we're dealing with a spiritual law here. Now we know that it is vitally important to the believer, the most important subject for the believer is faith because of course, even though the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing, <clears throat> and we hear about the wisdom of God, but I cannot receive that unless I receive it by faith. Many of us know that love is very important. The Bible says love works by faith. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. Uh, we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Now abide in these three, hope, faith, love, but the greatest of these is love. <clears throat> but Paul was talking about in the context of the spiritual gifts and operation because chapter 13 is placed right there in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, and both those chapters are talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul had to let the church know because the church got a little arrogant. Uh, the gifts were in operation, but they were a very carnal church. Paul had to let them know, hey, you know, if you have love, even though you're, you have all faith and you can move mountains and you can speak prophecies and, and, and tongues, if you have love, you're nothing. So Paul had to let them know. So in that context, love is the greatest. And of course, uh, in the end, when we're in New Jerusalem before the presence of God, the love of God will still uh, exist. There will be no need for hope and no need for faith. I'll be in the presence of Almighty God, but God's love is eternal. But currently, right now, at this time in life, as a Christian, I need to learn how to walk by faith. The Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And the Bible says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Why did Paul say, as it is written? Because Habakkuk 2.4 says, the just shall live by his faith. So obviously it's important the declared righteous live by faith, the declared righteous walk by faith. Many of us have come to learn in life that some people are not easy to love, and even though love is important, we learn that we must love them by faith. Because if we love them by how we feel, then we will not love them. So apparently faith is, faith is of great importance. Think about it. Just think about in your life how many things would not get done if you went by how you felt. Just think about it. How many things would get done if, if it was just about how, I, you know what, I don't feel like doing this. There'd be many things you wouldn't do. Many times you wouldn't come to work. And many times you wouldn't come to church. We want to be at church, but we don't necessarily feel like getting up and doing everything that's required to get me to church. So thank God to just live by faith. Because if we live by how we felt, many things wouldn't get accomplished. The church wouldn't do too much. So if I live by faith and I walk by faith, it must be of great importance. Now, we looked at how faith comes, and of course, the Bible says, uh, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We see a principle here, but then we learn something in Hebrews 4, verse 2. We found out, Paul was letting them know, hey, look, I got the Word, you can get the Word. But let me tell you what the problem is. You heard the Word, and you didn't mix that with faith. So because you didn't mix it with faith, it didn't profit you. So we have to mix what we hear with faith so it can benefit us. And that's how faith comes. Now, what is faith? Faith is not belief. We established this last week. Faith is not belief. Faith is something that goes beyond belief. Now, believing is one thing. And uh, we looked at situations where I can believe something and what I believe is true. 
absolutely, unequivocally true. But if I never act on what I believe, then it doesn't benefit me. And we use the, the, the television scenario and we can use a car. I can believe that if I put the key in the ignition and turn the car on, the car will turn on. And I can press, uh, uh, I can press on the brake and put it in reverse and put it in drive and, and I can uh, flip the blinker up and down to go left or right. I can believe all those things and what I believe is true, but if I never act on that, then I'm gonna stay in the car and we'll go nowhere. And what I believe is true, but because I didn't act on it, it didn't profit me. So faith is acting on what you believe. It's doing something. And, and most of the time, it begins with, or it begins by what comes out of your mouth. The Bible says in Romans 10, 6, the righteousness of faith speaks. Speaks. There must be something that we say. Remember, uh, Jesus said, whoever says to this mountain. So our speech has to line up with the Word of God, and, and, and our speech will guide our actions. What are you saying? What's coming out of your mouth? So we see that faith clearly is acting on what you believe. Now, we looked at a few examples in Scripture to confirm this because, you know, Jesus gives us the definition of faith. Jesus shows us something. Uh, we looked at Roman, uh, I'm sorry, we looked at Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we looked at the beginning part of that verse where Jesus came into contact with a leper. Do you recall the leper? And uh, the leper had a very interesting demeanor. Uh, about himself, the way he approached Jesus. He seemed to have this level of assurance and confidence. And, uh, you know, he came to Jesus and said, look here, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice that his question was not, Lord, if you're able, because he knew that God had all ability. He knew that Jesus was more than able. He simply needed to know the will of God. So he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can, not you might, not maybe, but you can make me clean. So he had confidence. Notice, the first statement was about God's will. The second part of that statement was about God's ability. And notice that the ability portion of the statement was, was already confirmed. The leper knew, you can do this, just are you willing? Once Jesus said, you're willing, the leper said, oh, well, I'm about to get clean. Because now I know that he's willing and I already knew that he was able. And that's the attitude that he had. And so then Jesus told the leper, he says, now, now go show yourself to the priest. I told you to, to remember that. Remember that. Then he comes across the centurion. And we saw Matthew's account and we saw Luke's account. And at first it seemed like maybe they didn't line up. Because it looked like in Matthew that Jesus was specifically speaking to the centurion. Whereas in Luke, apparently the centurion sent servants. And then when Jesus was on his way to the house, he sent out friends. But really, the scenarios line up with each other. And that's why Jesus made that statement. Surely I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And he makes that statement, the latter part of that statement, because he told the disciples, preach only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, preach only to Israel. Jesus is preaching to Israel, and then he finds greater faith outside of Israel. And, and, why, did he, and why did he say such great faith? Because the centurion, the whole time, was at home with his servant. The servants, the other servants, were speaking to Jesus on behalf of the centurion, but because the centurion had given them authority, they could speak in the first person. And so when the servants were speaking, the centurion was speaking. But the servants made awesome statements. The, the centurion, he says, you know, uh, uh, you don't even have to, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. Just speak a word. 
He'll be healed. I'm a man under authority. I tell one to go and he goes, one to come and he comes, one to do this and he does that. Jesus saw, wow, this man recognizes authority, recognizes so much that he sent men on his behalf to speak on behalf of him. Confident, knowing that these servants would deliver that message and that a servant would be healed. And notice when the servants got back to the house, the servant was healed. So we see, we see action, we see, we see speech that lines up with God's word, and we see people acting on what they believe. And we saw that in the case of, of the boat. Jesus had to stop the sea, the raging of the water and the winds, but, you know, the disciples could have handled that. That's why he says, well, you know, why are you waking me up? Why are you bothering me? You, you could have dealt with this. Oh, you have a little faith. If you had great faith, I'd still be asleep. And you to calm down the water and the wind. So it's acting on what we believe. Now we also looked at Matthew chapter 9. Let's go, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, this is one of the, the greatest illustrations. You know, we looked at Matthew chapter 9 last time. Um, it's always good to see it from another point of view. Let's, let's look at Mark's account of it. Turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 22. We're familiar with this, with this account about the ruler and his daughter. But let's look at Mark's account of it. I'm always, I'm always impressed with these uh, individuals because they're confident, fully convinced. Mark 5, 22, when you have it, say, I have it. Now watch this. It says, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. We have his name. It says, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now, now we see something. We have some more insight on this account here. It says uh, that he fell at his feet, so he, worship, he worshipped him. It says, And he begged him earnestly. But even still, out of his mouth comes, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jairus still is at a level of confidence to where he knows that if Jesus lays his hand on his daughter, she'll be made whole. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. How unfortunate. Spent her life savings and only got worse. When she heard about Jesus, wow, look at that. Look what happens when someone hears about Jesus. What happened when you heard about Jesus? When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. How awesome is that? Where he knew that power had went out of him and the woman only touched his garment. She only touched his garment, but he knew that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked down to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, 
came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now look at this. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, look here, if you lay your hands on my daughter, she'll live. Yes, she's at the point of death, but if you touch her, she'll live. And on, on his way to deal with the daughter, here comes a woman with a flow of blood. Where was her faith? If I can touch his garment. Where was her faith? If I can touch the hem of his garment. If I can touch his clothing, I'll be made whole. That's where her faith was. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. She touches the clothes. Jesus says, power has gone out of me. She's made whole. Now here in verse 35, Jesus is going ahead to continue about the business uh, he set out to, to, to take care of. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So now watch this. Now, now, now you have to see where Jairus is right now. Jairus comes to, the, to, 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 to Jesus and says, all right, go lay your hands on my daughter. She'll be made whole. Jairus is walking with Jesus. Jairus witnessed a woman with the flow of blood. So Jairus already came faith stimulated. He already came to Jesus knowing what Jesus was able to do. And, and, and on the way to the house, he sees a woman restored. He's like, oh, snap. <laughs> it's on now. So, now. so now look here in verse 35. Verse 35, look, the latter part, the, the, the people come from the house and say, look, your daughter's dead. Why trouble Jesus any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. That is incredible. Doubt came. Jesus said to Jairus, don't listen to that. Verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? Why? How do you come in the door? I mean, people just said that the girl is dead. See, this is this. See, people that don't understand faith. See, all we're doing, we're talking like Jesus. People say, well, you're crazy. You're in denial. So then Jesus is in denial because people came and said, what? Your daughter's dead. Jesus said, you don't hear that because I don't. Don't be afraid, just believe. He says what? Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. But Jesus, no, she is dead. We just told you that, that she's dead. He, no, she's asleep, Jesus says. Verse 40, and they ridiculed him. And I think that when people would ridicule Jesus and make fun of him, that, that, that was fuel for him. That, that was more fuel. It says, and they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took, see, thank God I, I wasn't Jesus. Thank God Jesus was Jesus. <laughs> Because when you'd make fun of me, I would take you by the hand and see, look at that right there. See that? She's alive now. It'd be all in their face. She says, and they ridiculed him, but when he put them all outside, see, I wouldn't have put them outside. I'd have said, watch this. See, Jesus wasn't a show-off. Thank God Jesus was Jesus. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talata kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. It says immediately. When? Immediately. How soon? Immediately. The girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. So look at the confidence of Jairus. Look at the confidence of 
the woman with the flow of blood. And then look at the confidence of Jesus himself. It's like I said, Jesus practices what he teaches. Because Jesus could have just believed. And we're talking about Almighty God here, the Son of God. You would think if anybody had the power of just believing or thinking something and it coming to pass, it would be Jesus. But even Jesus acted on what he believed. But for Jesus, it was at a point to where it was past belief, it was knowing. You know, how do we get to that, that, that point of knowing? I recall one time at, at, at back in L.A., I just did the offering, and I, and I asked people to raise their hands. I said, now, how many of you believe that about the tithe and the offering? You, you believe the tithe works. You believe the offering works, and the whole church raised their hand. Then Dr. Price came up behind me and said, you need to ask another question, because some of us are past belief. We know. He said, Dr. Price said, I don't believe that the tithe works. He says, I don't believe that giving works. He says, I know it. How do we get to that point of knowing? Because that's where Jesus is at. Jesus knew. That's why he tells Jairus, don't, don't, don't listen to that. Don't listen to the doubters. Why listen to the doubters? Do not be afraid. Say, just believe. And his daughter was, was made whole. Look at that. So faith is acting on what I believe. I believe something. And then I act on that which I believe. Now we see a multitude of examples here in Scripture. Uh, we could read them all day. We'd be here all day reading them. You see people coming before God, uh, worshiping Jesus and saying, have mercy on me. And Jesus would have mercy on, on them and their faith would make them whole. But I want to look at one account here because this is the greatest account in Scripture of someone receiving their healing. This is the greatest account and example of faith that we find in the gospel. Why? Because this example makes absolutely no sense. You cannot find any logical sense in it. And the Bible says we walk by faith and not by, or not by what we perceive by our senses, not by what we see, touch, taste, smell, hear. This account makes absolutely no sense. And that's why it's such an example of great faith. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. You know, before we read that one, let's just look at this one in, in Luke 18. This is a good one also. Look at Luke 18, 35. Luke 18, 35 says, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, yeah, I like this one too. Watch this now. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. Now, this guy can't see. All he has is his hearing. Verse 37, so they took, told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now look at where his faith is. He can't see, but he hears something. He says, what is that? They say, it's Jesus. He doesn't even respond to them. He cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, and he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So when the haters tell you to shut up, get louder. 
get a little bit louder. Because it's about you and him. It's about you and the word. It's about your petition. It's about your need. It's about your desire. Don't let the naysayers on the sideline tell you to be quiet. When every time they tell you to be quiet, you get louder. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, my gosh. Did you get that? I don't know if you got it. I don't know if you got it. Order of God. Everyone say order of God. Now, why would Jesus ask him that question when Jesus already knew? Why would he ask him that? Oh, Jesus. Matter of fact, forget the omnipotent or the omniscient part of Jesus. He sees the man is blind. He can see that. Yet he asks, what do you want me to do? See, that, that reminds me of, of, of what it says early in the book of Matthew. It says, well, your father, he already knows you need these things. Your father already knows of the things that you ask of him before you ask of him. Yet he still tells you to what? Ask of him. Right here. Jesus knows the man wants his sight. But Jesus wants his church to say what they need out of their mouth. What does he say? What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Once again, that, see, that's that attitude that you have to have. Don't try to figure out, well, you already know what I need. No, he said what? Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And when immediately he received his sight and followed him doing what? Glorifying God. Oh, there's a little lesson here. I'm going to tell you right now. Church, friends, every time your petition comes to pass, every time God does something for you, glorify him. I'm telling you, because you're going to see why in a second. Glorify him. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. To your true friends, say, so I praise God with you. And they won't be in that attitude of, well, when is it my turn? No, see, they praise God right there with you. Now look at Luke 17. Luke 17, as I said earlier, makes absolutely no sense. Luke 17, 11. This is now what happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were what? Who were lepers who stood afar off. All right, stop right there. Don't read anymore. <clears throat> Let's go back in time a bit. Remember the leper in Matthew 8. Jesus cleansed him, correct? Then Jesus told him to go see someone. The priest. Well, why did he say go see the priest? Well, here's why. Leprosy was a destructive disease. And the lepers, once it was confirmed, established that they had leprosy, they could not be a part of normal society. So they had to be ostracized, isolated, placed somewhere else. And when their leprosy was cleansed, when it was confirmed that they were clean, cure, no longer had leprosy, they were to go see the priest. Priest would check on them, make sure everything's okay, make sure it's established without a doubt you're cleansed, and, and they would place them back into society, normal society. <clears throat> so, the leper was cleansed in Matthew 8. Jesus said, go see the priest. So, church, help me out now. You only go see the priest when? When you're cleansed. You only go see the priest when? You only go see the priest win. 
So you only go see the priest when you no longer have the leprosy. When you no longer have the leprosy, then you go show yourself to the priest. So I don't need to go see the priest if I have leprosy, right? There's no need to go see the priest if I have the leprosy because I'm not clean. So I must wait to be cleansed. Jesus cleanses me, and then I go see the priest. Well, Luke 17, 13, it says, And they lifted up their voices, who did? The ten lepers, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So apparently, these ten lepers no longer wanted that leprosy. They wanted to be cleansed. Well, Scripture already shows us that when a leper is cleansed, he goes and sees who? The priest. So only go see the priest if I'm cleansed. Yet ten lepers came to Jesus, said, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he didn't say, your faith has made you whole. He didn't say, be healed. The first thing he says is, go show yourself to the priest. Oh, oh wait a minute now. Well, wait a minute. Well, that don't make sense. That doesn't make any sense because I only go see the priest if I'm cleansed. Jesus told ten lepers, just go show yourself to the priest. Well, if Jesus tells me something that really doesn't line up, it doesn't make too much sense, what am I going to do with that? So the ten lepers had two options. Look at their leprosy and say, why would I go see the priest if I'm not clean yet? Or they could just do what Jesus said. And the scripture says that as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 14 says, when he saw them, he just said, go show yourself to the priest. So Jesus said, let's see if they get it. Let's see if they get faith. Let's see if they understand this. Ten lepers, got leprosy. You only go see the priest if you're cleansed. Jesus told ten sick men to go see the priest. You don't do that. You tell ten clean men to see the priest. Jesus told ten sick men to see the priest, and the, and the sick men, let me tell you why. Because, see, they heard the word. They heard the report. This man done raised people from the dead. Blind eyes open. Mutes can now hear. So the ten lepers said, well, I see I still got leprosy, but he said go, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I bet you while they were walking with each other, they said, I bet you by the time we get there, we ain't going to have this leprosy. Because he told me to go. He said go, and they went. Oh, but wait, but wait, but wait, it gets better. Because you see, as awesome as it is to be cleansed of the leprosy, leprosy does damage to the body. Remember the blind man glorified God when it was done. Oh, verse 15. It says, and one of them, how many? Oh, but there were 10, but one of them. <laughs> one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan, another outsider. So Jesus answered and said, well, weren't there ten cleansed? Well, where are the nine? Eighteen. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. But the traditional says your faith has made you whole. What happened to the one foreigner? See, they were just cleansed of the leprosy. But the damage that the leprosy had done to their bodies was still there. So they no longer have leprosy. But the one Samaritan goes back, and not only is he cleansed, He's made whole, so it's like he never had the leprosy. 
Because he went to give God the glory. See, that's what, see, see, give God all the glory because it's, it's like there's a it's like there's a little extra surprise at the end of the at the end of the blessing. There's a little bit more. Anybody like Cracker Jacks? You remember Cracker? Eating the Cracker Jacks is fine, but I get a little surprise on the inside too. I'm cool with just, you don't even have to give me the surprise. I'm fine with the caramel corn, but I get a surprise too. That's what happens when you glorify God. You get the surprise. You get the extra treat at the end. The foreigner glorified God, and not only is he clean, but he's made whole. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. That's, look at that. That's just in giving him glory. Look at how simple is that? Give him the glory, and you're made whole. Incredible. So do you understand what I'm saying? See, that didn't make sense, did it? No, it didn't make any logical sense because you don't go see the priest unless, you're, unless I'm clean. But what's faith? Ah, it's acting on what you believe. Faith is somewhere else where sense is not. So he says, go, and they go. And as they went. Ha. Oh, did you get that? That is incredible. As they went, they were cleansed, and then one comes back, gives God the glory, and he's made whole. Incredible. Faith is acting on what you believe. Examine yourself. Find out what you believe. What, what do you believe? Because if you believe the Word of God in totality, then you would act on the Word of God. That's what you'd act on because that's what you believe, and that's faith. Faith is acting on what you believe. We as Christians believe the Word of God, so we act on the Word of God. Now, we noticed these gentlemen and ladies that would approach Jesus. They appeared to have this level of confidence and assurance. Turn to Romans chapter 14, the 22nd verse. When you have it, say, I have it. And then I have something that you may want to write down, uh, a nugget of truth. Write this somewhere in your notes. With faith, <clears throat> with faith comes assurance and confidence. I know some of you, you, you take notes like me, meaning you don't take notes. <laughs> you know, you get the tape, you go do your own study. I feel you, I understand. But for those of you that, that have been blessed with the ability to write and listen at the same time, <laughs> with faith comes assurance and confidence. Guilt and condemnation cannot be in the equation. Guilt and condemnation cannot be in the equation. That's why you can't be in sin and faith at the same time. With faith comes assurance and confidence. Guilt and condemnation cannot be in the equation. 
That's why you can't be in sin and faith at the same time. Romans 14, 22. All right, we could read the beginning verse of the chapter and establish a context here, but we're just going to look at verse 22 and verse 23 and extract a principle of truth. Verse 22 says, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Verse 23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. The latter part of the verse is what I want you to get. It says, For whatever is not from faith is, is sin. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So I can't be in faith and in sin. Why? Because with sin comes guilt and condemnation. There's no confidence where there's condemnation. You feel guilty. You feel like you need to be cleansed. You feel like you need to be forgiven. And that's what you need to do. You need to confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But while you're in that guilt stage, that con condemned stage, there's no assurance there. There's no condemnation there. You don't have that boldness to approach the Father and petition him and, 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 and ask for something that you've been believing for because you're guilty. You don't even feel worthy. So you need to get out of that sin and step into faith. You can't be in sin and faith at the same time. Because assurance and confidence don't hang out with guilt and condemnation. Now, whatever is not of faith is sin. There are some things in Scripture that Jesus clearly shows us that's not faith. So if it's not faith, then it's sin. It doesn't sound like a sin. It doesn't appear to be a sin, but it is a sin. See, it's a sin if he tells you not to do it. If he tells you not to do it and you do it, you just disobey. All right. How many of you know that there are viruses to your faith? Faith killers. The murder of your faith. The instant you let them in. Let's look at four of them. Number one is worry. Well, what's so bad about worry? I mean, doesn't that mean I'm, showing, I, I, I'm caring for someone? Whoever I worry about, I, I care for them. We have a doctor right here. Um, from a physical standpoint, worry's not healthy, is it? Take the spiritual part out of it. Worry's not even, it's not healthy. My father worried for years and got stomach ulcers. Worrying, stressed out, can't get sleep. It's not even healthy. And that's just from the physical standpoint. So from a spiritual standpoint, what does Jesus have to say about worry? Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We all, know, we all know verse 33, don't we? Yes, we know it. What does it say? But seek first kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, that sounds very promising. I mean, he says, seek first the kingdom, and I'll get all these things added to me. But what are the things? I mean, he says all these things, but it would, be, it would be appropriate for the student of the Word to attempt to find out what these things are. I mean, we've been quoting this verse, and we really don't even know what the things are. We figure they're good because it's from God. So we know they're good things, but we don't know what the things are. Well, what are the things? Well, Jesus lets us know in the same chapter, just a few verses up. Look at verse 25. Jesus is speaking. Faith killer number one is worry. 
Oh, and if you are like me, when Jesus is speaking, you listen up. And you're fully convinced that he's telling you the truth. So when Jesus is speaking and he says something, I should listen and do what he says. Now in verse 25, he's speaking. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. And the tradition always says, take no thought. Give it no thought. Wow, Jesus, don't worry about my life. He says, look, don't worry about anything. He says, if you're in me, I got you. So don't worry about your life. Man, that's a broad statement. What Jesus is now telling me is that whatever happens in life, don't worry about it. He says, do not worry about your life. Watch this, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, what you will drive, where you will live, when you will get married, when you will get that promotion, when you will be healed, when you will get out of debt. He said, don't worry about those things. He says, give them no thought. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He says, look at the birds. Of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, what good will worry do you? So, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So when I'm in worry, that's not great faith, is it? Verse 31, he says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Oh, now I know what the things are. What are the things? The things that he told me not to worry about. The things, the things that he told me not to worry about. Devil, I want you to hear something. He says, do not worry about these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things. Which things? The things that he told you not to worry about that your heavenly Father already knows that you need. So, so when worry tries to rear its ugly head up, just, just find something in God's kingdom to seek. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that he told you not to worry about will be added unto you. So he says, don't ask the question, don't ask what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't ask those questions. Instead of asking those questions and worrying about those questions, seek first the kingdom and watch those questions get answered. I get answers to questions I didn't even ask. Why? Because I sought the kingdom. And then look here in verse 26. You know, we read it, but I don't know if you saw something. He says, look at the birds of the air. Watch this. He says, I'm going to stop at the first word. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow. 
What's he saying? They don't sow. And I take care of the birds. He said, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns. He says, you, see, y'all tithe. You give. You bring to the storehouse. If I take care of the birds, how much more am I going to take care of you? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. He says, let tomorrow do the worrying. Let tomorrow worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You didn't get that. But yeah, some of you did. But you didn't get that. But, but some of you did. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> Why? Because when tomorrow gets here, it'll be today. <laughs> you don't ever have to worry about tomorrow. Because every time tomorrow shows up, it's today. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not worry about your life. Jesus says, stop worrying about your life. Because if your life is in my hands, why would you worry about it? Number two is doubt. Oh, we know about doubt, don't we? Right? Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Well, we know what verse 24 says, and we know what verse 23 says. I like to put them together. Why? Because 23 says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and what? Does not doubt in his heart. He'll have what he says. So the one thing preventing me from having what I say is what? Doubt in my heart. But we'll have to look at doubt next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.